Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, after a year of unprecedented economic disruption, a new report from the U.S. Chamber of Commerce examines the challenges American businesses now face in what will hopefully be a year of recovery ahead. Also this morning, to your health, fears over COVID-19, not the only reason that some patients will delay or avoid medical treatment for other conditions. Sometimes stigma can be a life-threatening condition all its own. And we have more easy recipes to share with your family from Kyra's Kitchen. Yes, on a Thursday. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Thursday, January 14th, 2021. WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. The WTOL 11 first alert forecast is calling for partly cloudy skies today and a high of 42, mostly cloudy tonight, a low of 33. Six Hancock County residents died from the coronavirus over the past week, according to Hancock Public Health. The latest data shows there have now been 88 deaths from the virus in the county. The number of active cases dropped by about 50 over the past week. 16 people are currently hospitalized with the virus in Hancock County. That's a drop of 11 from a week ago. Statewide, there have been nearly 800,000 cases and nearly 9,900 deaths since the pandemic began. Get more on our website. As the Cleveland Browns advance in the playoffs, their young quarterback says they have a new standard. I wasn't here for the things that have happened in the past, uh, some of which I was too young to even remember. Um, and there's a new standard, and we're going to you know, try and keep it that way. And the next chance for Baker Mayfield to uphold that new standard comes on Sunday on the road at Kansas City against the defending Super Bowl champions. Marathon has announced the hiring of its new executive vice president and chief financial officer. The company says Marianne Manon will succeed the retiring Donald Templin in those roles. She'll begin with the company on January 25th. Get more on our website. The city of Tiffin, once again, has been recognized as a national Main Street community. The city says its downtown revitalization effort continues to be validated and recognized throughout the state. Since becoming a Main Street community in 2015, the city says 55 new businesses have located in downtown Tiffin and nearly $33 million in investments have occurred in the downtown area. Get more on our website. A new online portal lets Ohioans report cases of unemployment fraud. State officials say the portal allows people to file complaints directly on the site. Officials say some people may not realize that their identity was stolen and used to file a fraudulent unemployment claim until 1099 tax forms are mailed out at the end of this month. We have a link to that online portal on our website. Get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. I'm Matt Demchek with 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. So today, if you're looking for a reason to celebrate, today is the Feast of the Ass. And I, I know what you're thinking, but no, this is actually a Christian feast. Um, or it was, it was uh, celebrated during medieval times primarily which was mainly celebrated in France, it says here, uh, and it was in recognition of all of the donkeys of the Bible, especially the one that was believed to have brought Jesus and his family into Egypt after the Savior's birth. So there you go. The, that's what they called it, the Feast of the Ass today. So <laughs> happy Feast of the Ass Day today. Also, uh, International Kite Day 
It is National Dress Up Your Pet Day. I'm not sure how your pet feels about that, but there it is. National Hot Pastrami Sandwich Day. Organize your home day today and take a missionary to lunch day. So, and treat him to a hot pastrami sandwich, maybe. And then you kill two birds with one stone there. So here are some of the most buzzworthy stories, most interesting some, in some cases, important stories, some cases just buzzworthy stories, stuff that uh, people would be buzzing around, buzzing about around the water cooler at work today, if you can still do that with the pandemic, I don't know. I saw this uh, story actually on the Newswire a couple of days ago, and I hesitated to bring it up, but since we've already brought up the Feast of the Ass, I'm, I'm not sure that we could do any worse on this, get into any more trouble. Um, a new children's TV show in Denmark has debuted that, you know, other countries may seem not at all, you know, not all that different from the United States sometimes in some ways, but other, in other cases, uh, life in other countries is wildly different. What would pass as acceptable in some countries, that would never fly here. Case in point, a new children's TV show has debuted in Denmark about a man with a giant manhood, let's say. This is a children's TV show. The central character is a man with a giant, uh, you know, that he uses to do all kinds of things, like raising a flag, creating murals, even rescuing people. The animated show, whose incredibly well-endowed main character is named John Dillermond, uh, is aimed at four to eight-year-olds. The show has drawn some condemnation from critics who wonder if a message about a man who can't control his, you know, is one that should be sent to, the, to kids. <coughs> I think a reasonable question. But a university professor and gender researcher um, says, uh, or a, a clinical psychologist, uh, Erla Heinsen Hosted, says she thinks critics are overreacting, says the show depicts a man who is impulsive and not always in control, kind of like kids are sometimes. Uh, it depicts a man who sometimes makes mistakes like kids do, but crucially, uh, Dillermond in the show always makes it right. He takes responsibility for his actions. And that's a message that is well worth. Uh, she also added, kids do find genitals funny. Well, okay. That is crazy, though, isn't it? I mean, I saw that and my jaw just hit the floor. I mean, I can't even imagine, even on cable <laughs> in this country, for something like that, and that would never fly. But there it is in Denmark. Uh, let's see here. A couple of other uh, interesting stories. Uh, certainly buzzworthy things to uh, start your morning. This is crazy in Sherville, Indiana. Is that how you pronounce it? Sherville, Indiana? A family is in danger of being evicted from their home, not because they can't pay the rent, but because they have too many children. When Eric and Deborah Rangel moved into their condo, 
2017, so what, four or five years ago, when they moved into the condo, they had two children. They have since had two more. The problem is that their lease says a maximum of two people can sleep in each of the two bedrooms, and they are now a family of six. The property management firm alerted the family of the violation last August, but they were able to sign a new lease in September. Now, why the company allowed them to sign a new lease, knowing that they were supposedly in violation, I'm not sure. And one month later, in October, they got an eviction notice. If you're going to let them sign a, a, a new lease, knowing that they... And they were a family of six. One month later, then to try and evict them, I don't know. Uh, Deborah tells uh, local news reporters in Chicago that she understands their family is larger than allowed, but they can't understand why the property manager is being so strict, saying, my main concern is time in the middle of a pandemic. So now they're being kicked out of their home. They're trying to be. They're trying to evict them from their home uh, because they have too many kids after they signed a lease extension, knowing that, you know, how many kids they had. I know, it's just crazy. I don't know. I can imagine that uh, is uh, going to be an interesting interesting story worth following there. But that's, I didn't realize that you, could, uh, that you could kick somebody out for having too many kids. I, I would think there would be a discrimination thing. But then again, if the, the lease says two people in each bedroom. I don't know. I don't know what the legal implications are, but I, I think there are going to be uh, all kinds of legal minds watching that story. I just thought that was kind of interesting. And I saw this story on the uh, newswire out of the uh, New York City area. A woman who makes a business out of renting prop firearms to rap stars to make music videos is now facing 25 years in prison because she is supposedly being charged as if every toy gun that she rents out were real. News reports are that the NYPD raided the home of Elisaveta Zlatkis and seized her cache of firearms from her apartment in Forest Hills in December. Officers even snapped a photo of their hall and declared the streets safer because they had taken all these guns off the streets. The problem is all but one of the 22 firearms, quote unquote, firearms um, seized were basically glorified children's toys or starter pistols, um, you know, used at track meets. The one real firearm that they did confiscate was not operational because it was gutted, its internal components were removed. So there were no actual operating firearms seized here at all. But the NYBT, uh, NYPD raided uh, her uh, apartment, seized all of these things, and declared the streets safer. Uh, one rapper who has rented the firearms from this woman in his videos was dismayed by the news, we do videos... With these guns as props, I didn't know that you could actually get in trouble with all that. They're fake. The 31-year-old has been charged with first-degree criminal possession of a weapon, felony charges, and faces 25 years in prison. 
She also faces eight, eight misdemeanor charges for endangering a child and for possessing ammunition. A judge who presided over the first hearing even called the whole debacle absurd because not a single gun was real. But despite the pushback, the district attorney in Queens has decided to move forward with the charges. Interesting stuff. Again, it'd be fascinating to follow that case and see where it goes. Anyway, some of the uh, most buzzworthy stories to get your Thursday morning started. I'm Erin Russo, and I've had 15 years of ICU experience. I think the scariest part of COVID is that it's unpredictable. People are dying and suffering. They're scared to death. They can't breathe. And the hardest part is when they ask us to hold their hand because they don't want to die alone. We need the people in Ohio to take this virus more seriously. And we ask you to wear a mask and to social distance. Please take the steps to help us keep you safe. A message from the Ohio Department of Health. We've talked about the ways in which the pandemic has caused unprecedented economic disruption. In conjunction with the state of American business, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce has released a new economic report on the outlook for and challenges facing key industries across the country, broken down state by state. Uh, Neil Bradley is with us this morning. He is the executive vice president and chief operating officer of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce with more on this study. Neil, tell us about the results of this uh, economic report on the business outlook for what we hope will be a recovery in 2021. Yeah, Chris, well, what we did at the U.S. Chamber is we went out and surveyed 37 different industries. We said, how are you doing today relative to pre-pandemic? And what we learned is it's a really a tale of two economies. Half, half of those 37 industries told us that they're doing as well or better today than they were pre-pandemic. Of course, that also means that the other half are doing worse. In some instances, much worse. We think particularly of the leisure and hospitality industry, for example. You know, there in Ohio, 340,000 fewer jobs exist today than existed last February, but 125,000 of those jobs are in the leisure and hospitality industry. So the key to recovery in 2021 is really helping these hard-hit sectors get back on their feet. Now, obviously, we have a new administration coming here before the month is out. How do you envision working with the Biden administration to uh, help uh, speed along this recovery, uh, which also, I, I guess, would involve many other related issues like infrastructure, immigration, and, and so on? Because all of these uh, are interrelated to a large extent. Chris, you're, you're exactly right. And, you know, the incoming Biden administration is really focused appropriately on combating the pandemic and getting uh, turbocharging of the vaccination program. That's going to be critical. But we also need the new president and the new Congress to work together. And, you know, it is a closely divided Congress. Uh, in the Senate, 50 Republicans, 50 Democrats. Doesn't get any closer than 50-50. So the key to getting things like infrastructure and job training and immigration reform done is really it's got to be bipartisan. Uh, We have to have uh, Republicans and Democrats come together. One of the things that we're doing at the U.S. Chamber is we're trying to set expectations. We've called on Congress and the administration to get an infrastructure bill done by the 4th of July. We call it Bill by the 4th of July. Um, We're also convening Republicans and Democrats together 
Uh, we're making them set up the same virtual table, and we're asking them, how are you going to work together? How are you going to find the common ground necessary to get the things that you both say you want to get done finally enacted in the law? Of course, there's an old saying that all politics is local and boiling this down to the the state and even the local level, what can be done uh, closer to home in order to rally for, again, what we hope will be a recovery in the year ahead? Well, you know, so I, I think all of us have a responsibility to hold our elected officials accountable and put those hard questions to them. Um, but we can also do things to help our local businesses rally for recovery. Uh, we can shop local, you know, even if it's online, even if it's, uh, you know, picking up something from a, a restaurant or a local retailer, uh, really putting our dollars to work in our local communities is incredibly important. And we can also help make sure that the small businesses that are struggling access the resources that are available to them. Congress did come together and pass that pandemic relief bill at the end of December, new forgivable loans for small businesses, new refundable tax credits. Local banks are already hard at work helping small businesses access those programs. And so um, that's really the key is making sure that these small businesses have the resources to get to the other side of the pandemic. Of course, many of those uh, small businesses are have all they can handle just trying to keep their head above water right now. Uh, so where would they go to get information on some of those resources, some of that support that is available? Absolutely, Chris. So uh, one of the things that we've done at the U.S. Chamber, I know the Ohio Chamber has done the same thing, is we prepare resources. So go to uschamber.com. That's uschamber.com. And there are lots of resources for small businesses that you can download to help you access these programs. Bottom line, when we uh, have this conversation a year from now in January of 2022, will we be back to quote unquote normal? Will uh, these industries that have been so hard hit uh, be at a point where they are at least sustainable? Well, Chris, when I join you a year from now, I hope what we're talking about, because we've gotten the policy right, is that not only have we recovered, but that we're actually doing better than we were before. Part of that means helping people whose jobs aren't going to come back, get the skills to move into the jobs that are open. Six million jobs that are currently open today in the United States, they just happen to be in sectors that have already recovered. Let's help people get the, the skills for those jobs. That means that they're going to have money to keep the roof over their head, food on the table, and to go out and spend money. And when that happens, um, the economic outlook can be pretty bright. Again, Neil Bradley is Executive Vice President, Chief Operating Officer of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. Where can folks learn more about the report that we were referencing earlier? So both this report, those guides and resources for small businesses, all available at uschamber.com. That's uschamber.com. Neil, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Chris. Happy New Year.
So anyone diagnosed with cancer faces difficult decisions already about treatment and care, but especially for the quarter million or so Americans who receive a lung cancer diagnosis each year, there is the additional burden of stigma associated with the disease, which can potentially cause a person to delay or even refuse treatment. Montessa knows about that. She is a small cell lung cancer patient who joins us this morning, along with oncologist Dr. Balaj Halmos, uh, Director of Thoracic Oncology and Clinical Cancer Genomics at the Albert Einstein Cancer Center in New York. The stigma of lung cancer, of course, is that it is a smoker's disease and that those who get it brought it on themselves. And Montessa, this is uh, the stigma that, that you faced with your diagnosis? Oh, yes. Um, b- both a double stigma for me because in 2006, I was 28 years old. So being a young person at that time, it was unheard of. I was a non-smoker. Mm. I was misdiagnosed twice before they found the tumor the size of a cantaloupe <clears throat> after two misdiagnoses. Um, and, and it still baffled the doctors that here I was, 28 years old, a non-smoker, yeah. and diagnosed with small cell lung cancer at that time. That's interesting. Uh, even uh, a bit of a stigma with respect to your doctors uh, kind of creeping in there as well. What ultimately... Uh, was how ultimately were you able to to overcome that uh, and kind of set that aside, uh, focusing on uh, treatment and and beating back the disease? So I immediately, my oncologist um, <laughs> at that time, you know, there was no options. I immediately was hospitalized, right? And we had the standard level of care. Um, I searched on Google for answers of how I could have acquired this disease, and then I, I saw the prognosis rates and became angry. And decided to turn that anger into advocacy and be a voice for this disease and, and hopefully change outcomes through improving uh, research and outcomes for patients. Dr. Helmos, I, I thought it was really interesting, again, as we mentioned in the introduction, that this uh, stigma uh, can sometimes cause uh, an individual to delay or even refuse treatment. And uh, that just uh, uh, kind of boggles my mind. I understand the uh, the stigma and and trying to overcome that, but uh, it is that serious. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's, it it can be very serious, and it's not just the stigma, but sometimes there's guilt associated with that stigma on the patient's part that this is something that they brought into themselves. They're a burden to their families as a result of their diagnosis, and that that's very sad to see. And nobody deserves lung cancer, and every single cancer patient deserves our compassion, empathy, and care. So we're definitely hopeful to reduce that type of stigma as much as, as much as we can. The other aspect is the poor prognosis, which of course has been a significant issue in lung cancer management for many, many years. But lately we've seen such exciting advances improving the prognosis for many of our patients, even now for small cell lung cancer, which has just been a very difficult you know, diagnosis to manage up until recently. And what are some of those latest developments that uh, will uh, perhaps improve the prognosis, uh, making treatment uh, better and more successful? Sure. So first of all, as you mentioned, lung cancer is very common. You mentioned a quarter million cases per year. And a significant fraction of these will be small cell lung cancer diagnosis. Small cell lung cancer is a very aggressive type of lung cancer. It spreads early to different organs. It presents in an advanced stage. And conventionally, the treatment, the standard of care has been chemotherapy, very aggressive, a lot of side effects and limited benefits. But lately, we've seen such exciting advances in the management of different types of lung cancers, finally on small cell lung cancer as well, 
with the FDA approval of a novel agent, a checkpoint inhibitor called Tocentric, also called atezolizumab. Uh, this is a novel agent that basically boosts the immune system natural ability to fight, the ca fight cancer cells and help chemotherapy to put cancers into a better remission and to maintain those remissions for a longer period of time. It's a fantastic advance, and through that, we're just thrilled with Montessa to be able to partner with Genentech uh, to raise awareness, uh, to make sure that we reduce the stigma and that we enhance, promote access to such novel medications with great benefits. Of course, there's always side effects to consider. These immunotherapies can stimulate the immune system turning against our own organs, leading to inflammation, for example, in the lungs or liver. So it's really important to make sure that you talk to your doctor carefully to make sure it's the right treatment for you and that you, that you get your, you know, the right care throughout your cancer diagnosis and management. And there's definitely more that you can learn, learn about lung cancer or this treatment itself through, for example, websites such as the American Cancer Society, cancer.org, or tecentric.com, T-E-C-E-N-T-R-I-Q.com. And of course, you, you definitely want to talk to your doctor about it. Uh, this sounds so uh, so much like a number of the advancements in many forms of cancer, these targeted therapies, uh, and and it, it truly is uh, amazing that we uh, have had these types of advancements that allow us to more effectively treat many types of cancer. In this case, uh, one of the, the ones that has been historical uh, historically mo among the most difficult to treat. That is very true. And in fact, lung cancer, which has been kind of left behind for many years in terms of treatment advances, has been at the forefront of many of the major advances recently in terms of precision medicine, but maybe even more importantly, now with immunotherapies, as I mentioned, the medications such as Tocentric coming to the forefront and benefiting our patients. And Montessa, what is the message that you have, having uh, been there yourself, to those who get this diagnosis? And again, uh, those those stigmas are there. Uh, and as the doctor was mentioning, uh, because historically this has had such a poor prognosis, um, you know, these are all thoughts that I'm sure crossed your mind, as you were saying, and and maybe crossing the minds of others. What is your message to those who are dealing with this diagnosis? The patients dealing with this diagnosis, I want them to know that now um, this is this is what we have been advocating for. This is what I've been waiting for since 2007 or 2008 when I um, first saw advancements in research focused on non-small cell and very minimal focused on small cells. Um, this is what we've been waiting for, to see these advancements for small cell lung cancer. And eventually, there's a day that we will be able to turn on the TV and see various advertisements for different treatment options, you know, plural, for a small cell lung cancer and, and get to a level of precision me medicine for patients that we won't be the Cinderella story anymore. Be your own patient advocate. Have a voice of your own. If you, if you can't do it, um, designate a person to do the research for you and, and become your own voice. Don't be afraid to ask your doctor questions. And during the pandemic, do not lose connection with your oncologist, primary care doctor, pulmonologist, or whoever else is on your case uh, management. So very important, such a, a, an important message uh, to share to your health this morning, talking about uh, lung cancer advancements and the stigma often associated with it. Thank you both for uh, taking the time this morning. We appreciate it. Thank you for having us. Thank you. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. 
Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news presented as a service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services and Dateline Harrisonburg, uh, Harris, Harrisonburg, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. This is not a good way to make a good first impression on the job. 32-year-old Carl Gamby, uh, first day of work, went into the went into a bathroom and shot up. <laughs> this happened uh, several months ago during his first shift of work as a desk clerk at the Ocano Lodge uh, there in Harrisburg. When he stumbled out of the bathroom after shooting up, he grabbed a female co-worker and kissed her neck, then took off his shirt and repeatedly tried to get the woman to kiss him as she yelled for him to get away from her. The woman then reportedly fled to her car and called 911 and told police that before she drove away, Mr. Gamby yelled at her, Hey, before you leave, I want to show you something, and then removed his pants. <laughs> Did I mention this is his first shift of work, first day on the job? Police arrived to find Mr. Gamby still naked, and now a state superior court panel has refused Mr. Gamby's plea to overturn the indecent assault conviction that he ended up with as a result. So Mr. Uh, Gamby gets to keep his 11 and a half to 23 month county prison sentence plus two years of probation. And I'm guessing he lost his job. <laughs> That's just a guess. <laughs> I'm. But I'm supposing he is no longer employed. He has no job to go back to when he gets out of jail. <laughs> First day on the job. Uh, elsewhere in the broken news this morning, police in Chisago County, Minnesota, say that they arrested a man on Saturday night who they admit is a decent runner, but not the brightest crayon in the box. <laughs> The man is accused of stealing another man's truck while the owner was fueling up his vehicle to a local gas station. They're in Taylor Falls, Minnesota. Suspect spotted by police less than 60 seconds after the theft was reported, which led to a pursuit all the way to Center City. Uh, police forced the man off the roadway and into a ditch, and then he got out of the vehicle and tried to run. The problem is the pursuit ended basically at the front door of the sheriff's office. <laughs> That's where the pursuit... So when he got out and tried to run, he wasn't going anywhere. He was right there at the sheriff's office. The uh, man's identity has not been released. <clears throat> the names have been changed to protect the stupid. Um, this from the international file of the broken news this morning. A serial toilet thief has been caught in Japan. Police there say 26-year-old Ryusei Takata is suspected of stealing a number of toilets from homes in Funabashi City that were under construction. So where the homes were under construction, he'd go in and he'd steal the toilets of all things. Uh, police arrested him after he sold a brand new toilet to a secondhand store in the city. <laughs> he was trying to resell the toilets. Um, Mr. Takata apparently worked as an office worker in one of the construction companies. Police say he used his knowledge of the workers' schedules to sneak onto work sites and steal the toilets 
while workers were on break. They say he stole a total of 18 items, not only toilets, but mostly toilets, dating all the way back to October of 2020. The local media dubbed him the God to Toilets. He reportedly told local media he sold the toilets to cover his living expenses. Well, times are tough everywhere, I guess. <laughs> but that's, that's pretty extreme. Did he think that they weren't going to miss the toilets? I mean, of all of the things that he could spit to could steal, that would be something you would notice if your new home didn't have a toilet. You would pretty much know. That's And finally, in the broken news report this morning, this is a great story out of Kansas where the state wildlife parks and tourism game wardens say they got a report of two deer with their antlers locked together. This is from Jackson County, Kansas. Somebody calls and say they saw two deer, their horns locked together, and they needed help. Officials uh, went out in search and located the bucks, but they had to keep their distance because the deer were still violently trying to free themselves from being tangled. And that's when game warden Jeff Clauser got the brilliant idea. Uh, he took aim and shot an antler off of one of the deer. The shot broke the antler and allowed the bucks to free themselves. Neither of the animals, neither of the animals were hurt. How good of a shot do you have to be to knock the antlers off of a pair of deer who are not standing still. I mean, they're they're there trying to free themselves, and he shot the antlers off the deer. That's that's pretty impressive, right there. That is today's broken news report, a service of Hancock County Veteran Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Take WFIN wherever you go with our updated mobile apps for iPhone and Android. And now you can listen to us on your Alexa device. Get the app at WFIN.com or in the App Store or Google Play. Plus, enable Alexa by searching for WFIN under Skills, and you'll soon be saying, Alexa, play 1330 WFIN. And the best part is the apps and skills are absolutely free. On the air at 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM, online at WFIN.com, and on your smartphone, tablet, and Alexa devices. And now, our daily download this morning, the numbers behind the news, the statistics that shape our lives. Did you adopt a pet during the pandemic? That was one of the things uh, that uh, over the past several months, there are a number of stories about how a lot of people are adopting uh, shelter pets. Uh be due to the pandemic and just needing some sort of companionship. The home improvement website Porch.com analyzed adoption data from the independent nonprofit organization Shelter Animals Count to determine if, well, they wanted to find out whether cats or dogs were more, uh, were adopted more often uh, state by state, you know, which states preferred cats, which pre uh, preferred dogs. And they just looked at cats and dogs. I know that there were other pets that were adopted as well. And again, these are just from shelters, which doesn't in, uh, encompass all of the pets that were taken into homes, certainly. But I think this is a pretty good, uh, pretty good reference point here. And it appears that cats were favored in West Coast states primarily, 
the East Coast mostly favored dogs. Uh, the Midwest and South were mixed. Uh, so the U.S. states most likely to adopt a cat. Alabama, Alaska, Arkansas, California, Colorado, Idaho, Indiana, Iowa, Kentucky, Massachusetts, Maine, Michigan, Mississippi, Montana, Nebraska, Nevada, New Hampshire, New Mexico, North Dakota, Tennessee, Vermont, Washington, West Virginia, Wisconsin, and Wyoming. The states most likely to adopt a dog, Arizona, Connecticut, Delaware, Florida, Georgia, Hawaii, Illinois, Kansas, Louisiana, Maryland, Minnesota, Missouri, New Jersey, New York, North Carolina, Ohio, Oklahoma, Oregon, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, South Carolina, South Dakota, Texas, Utah, and Virginia. More likely to adopt a dog. Overall, in the final analysis, cats adopted more than dogs. That was a bit of a surprise to me. But the margin was very slight. 55% versus 54% for the adoption of dogs. The data also shows that dog owners spent more time with their pets, which is not surprising because generally dogs are attention hogs, <laughs> whereas cats, they really could care less. I mean, generally speaking, I'm, I, there are dogs who don't care whether they get a whole lot of attention. They're perfectly fine. And then there are cats who are very needy and always want to be around their owners. But generally speaking, uh, it's dogs uh, that need all of the attention, whereas cats uh, are just fine as solitary creatures. So, not a big surprise that dog owners spent more time with their pets. Um, and this is kind of interesting, and it may be uh, the best news of all out of this report, that the overall pet adoption rate for 2020 was 3% higher than it was in 2019. 3%. Not a huge increase, but an increase. And the only hope is now that families, once things start to get back to normal, the kids are back in school full time eventually, and mom and dad are back working uh, a regular schedule, that these families that went out and, and adopted pets, particularly dogs uh, that need more attention, uh, don't find that they can no longer care for their animals and they end up back in shelters. That's the concern that I know a lot of uh, animal rescue organizations have expressed that once things get back to normal, will they still be able to care for those animals the way they, they should be. But uh, overall pet adoption rates uh, up in 2020 over 2019. We close out each week with a new collection of recipes from Kyra's Kitchen. And I know what you're thinking. Hey, it's only Thursday, but I'm not going to be here tomorrow. No. And uh, so this is the de facto end of the week. And it was either skip this week uh, and throw all of your legions of fans into a tizzy <laughs> or... Uh, do them early, so... I could have tried it on my own. It might have... Kurt and those guys might not have liked it, but could've just, I could have tried it on my own. You could have just done... You could do the whole show tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, what Friday. the heck? There we go. There yeah. We go. Yeah. Yeah. 
We'll look into uh, the possibility of that. No, my wife Kyra has joined us uh, in the studio. It is time for another collection of recipes from Kyra's Kitchen, a special Thursday edition as we uh, head toward an extended weekend here. And uh, we've got a uh, really uh, great collection of recipes, uh, easy to make. That's the uh, hallmark. And uh, we start with one of your favorite, salmon patties. Yes, one of my favorites. I love salmon patties. So you take a half a cup of flour, a fourth a cup of crushed saltine crackers, 15-ounce can of salmon, uh, red bell pepper finely chopped, uh, a half a cup of sweet onion diced, uh, one large egg, one teaspoon of Worcestershire sauce. I know, I'm not saying that right. (laughs) Worcestershire sauce. Worcestershire sauce, whatever. Half a teaspoon of seasoned salt, um, a quarter teaspoon of pepper, a half a teaspoon of garlic powder, quarter cup of mayonnaise, and one tablespoon of dried cilantro. So in a large bowl, combine your flour, your crackers, your salmon, your pepper, your onions, and your seasoning. Mm-hmm. And then um, your add your Worcestershire sauce, your mayonnaise, your cilantro, and your egg. And then mix all that well. Shape in into about six to eight patties. Uh, heat your oil in a large skillet over medium heat. Uh, once the skillet is hot, uh, cook your patties about two to three minutes on yeah, each side. Yeah, it doesn't take no, very long. Nope. Make sure they're just golden brown. Flip it over another two to three minutes and then serve immediately with your favorite dipping sauce. It is as simple as that. That's easy. I know a lot of folks with seafood yeah. uh, a lot of times try and make it harder than it yeah. is, but that this is, is yeah. incredibly easy. Yeah, this is easy. And uh, very tasty, yes. these salmon patties. To go yes. along with that, we have mac and cheese in the slow, slow cooker. cooker. Yes. So mac and cheese is one of my kids' favorites. And it's one of everybody's yeah. kids' favorites. Yeah. <laughs> and this is really easy. So um, eight ounce of uh, elbow macaroni, uh, one 12 ounce can of evaporated milk, one and a half cups of milk, uh, quarter cup butter melted, quarter teaspoon of pap- paprika, one teaspoon of salt, a dash of pepper, um, salt and pepper for your taste, mm-hmm. um, two large eggs. Uh, beaten a half a cup, uh, four ounces of cream cheese, a block of cream cheese, and four cups of shredded uh, cheddar cheese. So com- combine your evaporated milk, your whole milk, your eggs, your melted butter, your spices, your salt, your cream cheese, and your cheese. Um, and then uh, boil your elbow macaroni for about six minutes. Don't go over that. Um, don't cook it all the way through. Okay. Because when you put it in you're the crock be putting... pot, you're, it's going to finish cooking. Right. So you don't want to. Um, because if you overdo it, it's going to get right, really it's mushy. Be mushy. And, and yeah. nobody likes mushy mac nobody and cheese. Nobody wants mushy mac no. and cheese. So, so um, the cook for six six minutes in salt water, then drain it, then fold in your pasta into the crock pot, uh, fill the mixture uh, on. Uh, pour the mixture on top uh, and mix and then close with the lid and cook for one to two hours on high or three to four hours on low. Okay. The key, again, can't emphasize this enough, right. is that when you are uh, making the elbow macaroni, right. you don't do that all the way through. Right. Right. So yeah, uh, six minutes. Don't test it. Don't don't do anything. Six <laughs> minutes. Get it off. And yeah, drain don't it. test it because you'd be tempted tempted to leave it in there yeah. too long. So yeah. very important. That is yes. the uh, key to the slow cooker mac and cheese. Yep. And then for dessert, uh, we have crunchy mint 
uh, mint M M&M and cookies. Yes, crunchy mint M M&M and M cookies. Okay. Yes. So this is these are really good, and this is really easy. Really so, easy. A box of chocolate cake mix, one bag, eight ounce of crunchy mint M&M's, mm-hmm. two eggs, and half a cup of vegetable oil. And that's it. That's it. Okay. Yep. So uh, mix your cake mix um, with the egg, the oil, uh, in a large bowl. And by the way, you're using the cake mix. You're not going to prepare the cake no, uh, no. by, you're completely you're, ignoring the instructions correct. on the box. The two eggs <laughs> and the vegetable oil. That's okay. it. All right. It. Yeah, your your cake mix. Your eggs and your oil. Yep. Okay. And so mix together your cake mix, your eggs, your oil, and then add your M&Ms. Uh, preheat your oven to 350 degrees. Uh, roll the cookie dough into one-inch uh, balls. Then place on a nonstick cookie, sh- cookie sheet and bake for seven to nine minutes um, or until done. And that is it. That's it. That is as simple as yep. it gets. And these are really good. They are really yummy, and especially the, if you're a, a fan of mint. Mint. Uh, and, yes. and the crunch, crunchy M&Ms just... I don't know. It just puts a little crunchy in the cookie, and it's really good. So there you go. The recipe for the salmon patties, the slow cooker mac and cheese, and the crunchy mint M&M cookies for dessert. And we will have those recipes linked up on our Facebook page. Uh, Also at goodmornings.net, we have the link up so you can uh, check those out. Really, really easy. And uh, again, as we have said, if you have, uh, we mentioned this last week, if you have some recipes from your kitchen you would like to share with ours, by all means, uh, email us. Always looking for new recipes. Yes, I love trying new stuff. So uh, shoot them over to us, goodmornings at wfin.com. And who knows, might be featured uh, sometime on down the line in uh, Kyra's kitchen. So there you go. My wife, Kyra, with her uh, recipes this week. Kai, thanks very much. You're welcome. And that is our podcast for today. Remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the program at our webpage. Go to goodmornings.net. We are always on 24-7 on the World Wide Web. But say we're always on at the website. But no podcast tomorrow, taking an extended weekend. So the next show coming up on Monday, we will have a conversation with the new president and CEO of Blanchard Valley Health System. Myron Lewis will be with us. Until Monday morning, that is good mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day and a great weekend. And we'll get you back here next week.